This episode of Inflow with Soul deals with subjects pertaining to suicide. If this topic is triggering to you, please skip this episode or do not listen without the proper support. If at any time during the podcast you become triggered, please stop this episode and seek support. You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Welcome everyone to another episode of Inflow with Soul. Today we have Jesse Scovera with us. Jesse is a veterinarian, and I'm going to ask her to tell us more about what she does in that field. But I would really like us all to welcome Jesse. Thank you for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. So start with this. I, I personally, I, I got to say, I have a little um, attraction to this because as a kid growing up on a farm, yeah. being a veterinarian was like the first thing that I ever thought that I would, would do with my right. life. I didn't right. end up going down that path, but um, you did. So tell me about veterinary for you. What was the draw? Well, that's step one. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so veterinary medicine, I got started in it um, at a really young age. I also, my grandfather had horses and okay. I loved all animals and I was always bringing them home to my mom being like, can we help it? Can we help it? Um, and then when I was in high school, um, I actually had a dog that was like our family dog. She was a yellow lab. She was awesome. Um, and she ended up paralyzing herself at like five years old and there was nothing anyone could do about it at that time. So I remember just saying to myself, like, I got to go to school and help animals like this in the future. Um, so that's where my passion really got started. And then when I went to college, um, I was a college athlete and I majored in psychology and English because I really didn't like science that much, but I still had a passion for veterinary medicine. Um, so I took all my prerequisite courses to apply to veterinary school and then, um, you know, always worked at like shelters in college and still volunteered and was constantly rescuing animals. And then when it came time to apply to veterinary school, you know, I kind of took a leap of faith and put some applications out there and then ended up getting accepted at, um, Ross University, which is a um, veterinary school in the Caribbean. So it was a really, wow. really cool experience. And so I'm assuming you're not from the Caribbean, no. right? I, yeah, I grew up in Western PA, um, okay. so Pennsylvania. Sorry, that's a very PA thing to do. <laughs> um, Western <laughs> Pennsylvania and in a small, just kind of rural town, um, very farm oriented, very mm-hmm. like trade school oriented. So a lot of people went into like welding and machinery and teaching Mm -hmm. and things like that. 
Um, so very small town, but, um, it, it was a very big change when I moved to the middle of the Caribbean ocean. I'll tell you that much. Well, I was going to say, especially coming from a small rural area to a Caribbean, which right. is across the water, right? And a whole new, it's a whole new world. Right. And both of my parents grew up in where I grew up and both of sets of my grandparents grew up. So no one's really ever left. Um, and now I'm back, of course, because, you know, right. my family is very important. But um, it, I remember when, you know, I was applying and I didn't get in anywhere except for this Caribbean school. And my mom, um, my dad was really nervous about it, obviously. I'm his only daughter and, you know, moving halfway across the world isn't something I'm sure he wanted me to do. Um, But I remember once I was in school, my dad called me and said that my mom basically threatened his life <laughs> and said, if he said anything negative about me going, he was in trouble. Cause he, cause I would have stayed honestly, if my parents okay. were nervous about it at all. So they supported me and I, you know, I packed up my suitcase and they asked me if, um, I wanted them to come and help me move in. And I said, no, cause I knew if they came, I would want to leave with them. Right. Um, and I just packed up, you know, three suitcases and jumped on a plane and moved to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. So as a young adult, that's taken quite a leap of faith. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the hard part is, especially with veterinary medicine right now, is it's so difficult to get into veterinary school. And it becomes this, like, passion for a lot of young adults, um, mostly young females, but some young males. And that's all you see yourself doing with your life. So you kind of say, you know, I'll do whatever it takes, even though it's kind of crazy. And at that point, you know, I always traveled growing up, like we would go on vacation and stuff, but I never left the country. And, um, I went to college 45 minutes down the road from where my parents live. So I remember, you know, some of my college friends were like, you have to do it. You have to do it. So they were really influential too. Um, but I cried the whole way to the airport and the whole way on the plane (laughs) and the whole first week I was there, I cried my suitcase, all, all my luggage was lost. So I didn't have bedding. I didn't have clothes. I didn't have anything. Um, and then I remember in my first semester telling my mom, I was like, I'm going to get really good grades and I'm going to transfer back to the U S. And then after my first semester, I was like, I'm never coming back to the United States. (laughs) So it was a really, really cool experience. That's wonderful. So you go through school, you feel at home now at the school Mm -hmm. in the Caribbean being away from home. Uh, you graduate now, what do you do? So now I work in small animal general practice. Um, I actually went to vet school to do large animal medicine. That was like my huge passion. I wanted to do, um, like dairy and farm work. Um, Mm -hmm. but then when I got down to St. Kitts, um, they have a very large feral dog, feral animal, basically population. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's dogs that will travel in packs and there's feral cats everywhere. And I realized how important like rescue medicine was to me and shelter type medicine, um, and trying to get as many animals off the street as I could. So I kind of fell in love with small animal medicine while I was down there. Um, so when I got out of school, I, I, um, I remember setting a list of things that were important to me um, Mm -hmm. when I was looking for a job to be hired. And number one was mentorship and being at a practice with older, more seasoned vets that were really interested in helping me develop Mm -hmm. my um, skills and, you know, things like that, because things they don't tell you in veterinary school is you do most of your learning in your first, you know, two to three years out. The the school is just kind of the basis for it. And then, you know, when you get out and you start practicing, that's when you really start to develop things. 
Um, so mentorship was really important. And then, um, a place that practiced good medicine was number two on my list. So, you know, there's a lot of veterinary hospitals out there that, you know, they start and everything kind of stays status quo throughout, you know, the time of it being open. And I really wanted to be at a place, um, that had veterinarians that were willing to do like continuing education and update protocols. And I always wanted to make sure we were doing what's best by our animals. So I found, um, the hospital that I'm currently working at late Trobe animal clinic, and there's actually two other veterinarians there and they're married and they actually met in St. Kitts, um, at at the vet school that I went to. So we're all very similar in our upbringing, um, Mm -hmm. and where we went to school and how we were taught and things like that. So they are amazing. I, was so, so lucky to get stuck with them, but, (laughs) um, they've just supported me from day one and, you know, are always on my side for, with things. And it's just, it's been a really great experience. So it sounds like, how long have you been practicing now then? So I graduated now two years ago, probably like today, actually two years ago today. (laughs) Happy Graduation anniversary. (laughs) So looking back at these first two years, what would you say are some of the things that you've learned professionally that now you just got down? Yeah. So communication is super important. And that's another thing I think a lot of young hopefuls for veterinarians Mm -hmm. don't really understand is, you know, everyone's always like, I want to go to vet school because I don't like people. And that's like the huge statement I hear all the time. And I always tell young students, I'm like, you're dealing with people so much more than you would ever think. Um, It's very difficult because as a veterinarian, you know, the the owner is presenting their pride and joy to you and you have to get to that pet through the owner. There's nothing that you are going to be able to do without the owner's trust and, you know, without them knowing that you care about their animal. So a lot of people think they can just, you know, walk in and see the animal and be like, this is what we have to do. But it's so different than that. You have to read a room, you have to work with finances, you have to work with, I mean, some people love their animals and would literally Mm -hmm. sell a kidney to keep their animals alive. And other people, it's truly just a dog, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. you can't fault anyone for that. It's just, you know, people were brought up differently. People, you know, have different things going on in their lives. So you know, when you walk into a room, you could be presented with a cat and kidney failure. And there will be people that will ask about dialysis. And there will be other people that are just like, "Mm, they're eating. Okay. We're fine. Um, so it's a huge spectrum of, you know, what you can offer and how you can offer it. So I think a lot of the time, um, communication is really what young vets have to work on in their first year. Cause you know, the medicine and you know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also adapting yourself to certain people because, you know, we go to vet school cause we love animals. We would do right. anything for animals. So when you get that first owner, that's like, mm, I don't want to do anything. You're kind of like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that happens and you still have to find a way to make the quality of life good for that animal for as long as possible. And if you're not on the same page with an owner and they don't trust you, you know, things can go south quickly. So it's a huge spectrum of different types of practice. Okay. So that's one area that you personally, you've had to grow in. Right. In this capacity. Because I always just thought everyone would do 
everything possible for their animals. Right. I mean, right. I, you know, both of my pets have had orthopedic surgeries and, you know, I do crazy things for my pets, but that's just not how everyone is. And that's okay. Sure. You know what I mean? That sure. is completely okay. So you just have to get used to, there's different spectrums of caring for animals. Right. So two years into this, you must feel really confident in the services that you provide to your animals, um, listening and and using the owners as Mm -hmm. that communication tool, right, with the animal. Right. Um, So on the business side of things, what has this been like for you? Right. So um, I went into general practice because I always knew that I wanted to be um, a business owner someday. Um, I always wanted to have my own clinic. I always, you know, wanted to be in charge of my schedule, wanted to be in charge of things that I could offer to the community um, because community and client education is super important to me. And like I said before, like shelter and rescue. So Mm -hmm. I always knew I wanted to be in charge of my own fate, for lack of a better term. Um, so I went into a practice where business ownership was eventually possible. And I think a lot of, um, young vets, it's, it's difficult because when your first three to five years, you're like just trying to keep your head above water. You know what I mean? You're trying to learn how to practice and manage money and pay off loans and do all these crazy things at once. And, you know, it can feel like, you're being just hit again and again and again with things. Every time you lose a patient, you feel like you're taking a step back. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you don't really focus on that 10, five, 10 year goal right away. Um, but I was very lucky to get involved in a, a a practice that, um, right from the beginning said, you know, when you're ready, um, if you're interested in buying into the practice, you know, if things work out and we get along well, and we think we're very Mm -hmm. similar, um, then that opportunity is definitely there. So there's a lot of places like that out there um, that I think that a lot of young vets are missing out on. And a lot of it is, you know, corporate versus private owned and things like that. Sure. But, um, you know, there's a lot of older vets that are starting to retire that are looking for young veterinarians that want to own a business. Um, and that is one way to kind of control your career and control your hours and control what you want to do and what you don't want to do, um, and not really be not owned by a corporation, but make your own decisions when it comes to it. So, um, when I first started that, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to practice, but I also wanted to be a person outside of veterinary medicine, which is hard for a lot of us to make that, you know, differentiation between those two lifestyles because we're so passionate about animals. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm getting to the point in my career where I'm looking to have partial ownership of a practice. And it's nice because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to take that burden in all by yourself. I don't have 100% of the responsibility, financial, decision-making, anything like that. Um, I have a partner in an ownership. Mm -hmm. And if you find the right situation, you know, it works out really well. Absolutely. Um, and conversely, the wrong situation can fall apart very quickly. Right. Right. And I think a lot, I've, I've known a lot of young students kind of get into that situation where they want to own so bad. So they kind of buy practices right away. And, you know, if you don't know what you're getting into, it's difficult. I mean, for example, I, I practice every once in a while at another hospital in the town where I grew up. And, um, the medicine is so different. You know, th- an older vet was there that just retired, a fantastic man, but all of the clients there are used to 
paying when they have to pay and, you know, doing certain things and calling his personal phone. And, you know, if you start, if you take over that practice and you start to try and set boundaries that are way different than what the clientele is used to, um, you're going to end up losing a lot of clients. So you have to kind of feel out the situation and, you know, there's a position, there's different vets for different scenarios and we all mean something. We're all necessary. We all matter. But if that practice doesn't fit your style of practice or your mentality or even your personality, to be honest with right. you. Um, right. like it, it's like me trying to take over a practice in Beverly Hills. Like it wouldn't work out. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> I'm very blunt, very to the point. So, yeah. you know, you have to get involved and see where you're a best, a good fit. And then, you know, try and figure out exactly if you want to do partial ownership, full ownership, you know, even, you know, there's a huge thing right now with COVID with, do you want to do brick and mortar or do you want to do home visits, you know, a traveling right. vet? Um, so there's a lot of opportunities out there for us, which is awesome. Absolutely. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges then for, because I heard a couple of things. One is that there's the corporate model of mm-hmm. veterinary medicine, and then there's the private practice model. Right. To, uh, and and I think I know what the difference is, but I'm going to let you describe what what do you would you say those differences are? Yeah, so corporate um, just across the board, you know, they have protocols in place for everyone. Okay. So and I I think both models are great. I will be honest with you. I interviewed at multiple band filled hospitals, which are corporate medicine, um, and I think they're great for new veterinarians coming out of the field because they have a rule book. So you know, when you're nervous, when you aren't sure what to do when you aren't sure what diagnostics to run. They kind of have it set up for you to the point where, you know, you can't make many mistakes, which I think okay. is awesome. And it's for a suited group of new vets. Um, mm-hmm. They have great, you know, package benefits that they can offer because they're corporate. Um, the pay is definitely better than private practice because they're corporate. Um, but a lot of vets, as they grow older, grow out of that system, I see, because they want to make their own decisions. They want to kind of step across that line a little bit. Um, they want to be able to offer, you know, free care to someone that deserves it. And a lot of the times your hands are tied in corporate medicine. And again, okay, there's a place and time for, I think it's fantastic. Um, but it's just not what I wanted to get into. So you get into that private practice setting and you still have your ground rules. You still have, you know, there's a way we practice. You have to offer good medicine. You have to offer this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, if that's not feasible for an owner, you're allowed to kind of step outside. You know, we have donated meds here. We'll give you, you know, donated okay. medications. Um, you know, this, I, I say it a lot, but this isn't an ideal situation. If it were, we'd mm-hmm. be doing this, that, and the other, but we can't for one reason or another. And so this is what we're going to do. And if you're on the same page with an owner and they trust you, right. that works just as well. It truly does. Right. Um and there, there's corporate clients and there's private practice clients as well. You know, there's the corporate sure. clients, they, you know, you can get um, almost like a pet plan for your pet where every year you get yeah. free blood work, x-rays, and it's, it's not free. Obviously, you pay for like almost like a membership for your pet. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, places like general practice where you just pay for it kind of as you go and as you need it. And again, both are fantastic models just for different uh, clients and for different vets. Absolutely. So you're going down the private practice route. Mm-hmm. What are some of those challenges that maybe are unique to veterinarian, but maybe it's just about what are your challenges about getting into that business owner role? 
Right. And so with general practice, um, and the hardest thing, and I'm just going to throw out some numbers at you, but my veterinary school uh, costed around $380,000 just to be educated in veterinary medicine. Um, That's, you know, subsidized loans and things like that. But when you start to look for how am I going to buy, how am I going to make this payment to buy in? And every veterinary hospital is worth different, but a lot of the mm-hmm. times your loans are held against you. Um, so you have to kind of work with whether it's a, a mortgage for, or loan for, firm that works with veterinarians or that understands that we are in a substantial amount of debt, but to try and climb out of it, we kind of need to put ourselves in more debt. Um, So that is step one is just trying to find someone that supports you and your dream money wise. Now there are some people that, you know, don't have loans and don't have to worry about that or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, But I'm facing that battle right now in um, my, you know, looking forward to the future sort of thing is just finding someone that's willing to take the risk and look at the numbers and, you know, what is your business grossing a year? What are you producing for this business? Um, do you have a contract in place or, or two years down the road, are you going to back out and right. you know, be in debt? So I think that's very difficult um, because, you know, we spend a lot to get ourselves educated. So then when we're out, we're kind of in this hole where you're like, okay, I just got to keep up with my loans. I got to, you know, keep working and a starting veterinary salary for a young veterinarian in the United States right now is at $65,000. So I mean, it it truly is crazy when you think we're, we're medical doctors, but just for a a non-insured type of medicine. Um, So there's not a lot of money in it. So it's just trying to figure out kind of, you know, where to get support from, you know, to buy into a business and things like that. And then you just have to, you know, get on the same page as in kind of adapt and become an owner. So right now I still see myself as a young associate. I still, Mm -hmm. when people come to me with questions, I'm like, this is what I would do, but ask my boss, always, you know, ask the owner, pass it up the ladder and things like that. So I think that's going to be a hard transition for me to make. Um, and I keep telling myself, you know, if they trust you enough to buy in and, you know, become a partial owner, then they trust your decision-making as well. But it's still hard. I'm 27 years old and it's just one of those things where, you know, I'm the adult, but I don't feel like it yet. So it's always just kind of like pumping yourself up and being like, you know, and it's hard in terms of, you know, you practice medicine for so long and, you know, you're starting to get confident with that, but can you practice medicine and be a business owner? And that's hard for veterinarians to do. Um, You know, again, I've, you've, dreamed about it when you were younger. I've dreamed about it since I was eight years old. How do you make good business decisions and still be a good veterinarian? Um, and that for me is going to be for sure the hardest thing because, you know, you want to save everything. You want to help everyone, Mm -hmm. but you have to pay your staff. You have to keep your lights on. Um, so that's, it's almost a disconnect. And, and I, I do find myself being two different people, you know, when I'm practicing, I'm very compassionate. I want to do everything I can. But when it gets to the point of making financial decisions and talking about raises and things like that, or production, you have Mm -hmm. to take a step back and kind of just push the animals aside for a second and realize that you can't continue to serve animals if it's 
not a business. And if it's not a right. business, um, right. same with support staff, you know, this is a really hard time in society right now where, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are, aren't working for one reason or another. Um, there's a lot of things going on where, you know, my support staff, they joke about it cause they love animals, but some of them could make more with just unemployment than okay. they're making right now. So how do you keep your support staff paid? And it, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. Right. I think that's really hard for a lot of veterinarians to realize because we're so focused on helping people and helping their pets and doing whatever we can. And how is it fair, you know, if they can't afford it, that it doesn't get done, but then you have to take a step back and say, well, how is it fair to pay my support staff overtime and try and pay me and, you know, do all right. those things if you're not getting paid in the first place. So I think a lot of times it's very hard for veterinarians themselves to own a business. And I think that'll be, you know, my hardest feat coming up here is just realizing that at the end of the day, it is a business. Absolutely. And again, you, you are in a unique situation where you're getting mentored in this business role, uh, owner role. But if you didn't have that, what, where else do young veterinarians learn about building a business? They know yeah. the practice, but right. how do you learn about building a business? And so there's not a lot of resources for that. Um, there are a lot of places, or a lot of universities will have a veterinary business, business management association or a VBMA, and you can take classes through them. Um, you can go to meetings and lectures, but there's not a lot of like like actual formatted, like structural classes. It's just a bunch of people lecturing you on how they did it and, you know, what they find works. And this, these are the people you need to get involved with. I will be honest. There's a huge community of veterinarians on Facebook that are super helpful. Um, so social network has been, you know, really cool to see. Um, there's a mobile veterinarians, Facebook page where, you know, people are commenting, Hey, can anyone talk to me about how they started? And there's, 50 people responding, call me, call me, call me. So, you know, it's vets supporting vets at this point, but there's no, there truly is no structure. Like, Hey, if you want to, and I think it would be great, you know, in veterinary school to become more specialized and things like that, because we spend four years studying seven different species. I now work with two. Um, We have to take boards on seven different species. We have to know the ins and outs of all of those species and everything where maybe we could take a step back and say, you know, at the beginning, you want to do cats and dogs, and then you want to do general practice and business ownership. So why don't we associate your track with a little more business management Mm -hmm. classes and financial and economics and things like that? Um, instead of me learning about, you know, lizard husbandry and things like that. Yeah. So, and, and I don't hate, I mean, I loved veterinary school, but there, it can be more specific. Um, and yeah. right now we're all kind of just getting out at this point. And, you know, I have friends that are boarded radiologists in downtown New York. They just look at, you know, radiographs all day, every day. That's all they do. It's just black and mm-hmm. white photos. And then I have friends, you know, that are doing dolphin recovery. So our oh. paths go so many different ways and we don't learn that in vet school. That's all post vet school. Okay. Um, so I think if, you know, if there was something out there after vet school that was more structured or even during that was like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is how you start a business. This is how it's structured. It would be so beneficial to a lot of vets. And I think a lot more vets would be more comfortable owning their own hospital if that was sure. available to you. Um, sure. so yeah. So can I get personal for a second? Sure. 
So thinking about this journey that you've been on from leaving home for the first time, leaving this continent really for the first time for a long-term period, right? Mm -hmm. To go to school, you end up staying at the school that you thought you'd leave after the first semester. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that now you're in this career. What is it that you've learned about yourself that you didn't know before? Yeah. Wow. Um, I guess just resilience in general. Um, I, I was always raised as like a wipe it, you know, rub some dirt on it type of kid. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it hurt, it, my dad used to always ask this question. It's so stupid, but are you hurt or are you injured? Um, cause there was a huge difference between that okay. and my family, you know, is cause I was an athlete growing up and you stub it to, are, is it hurting or are you actually injured? Um, and he would always ask me that question. And I, you know, I, sometimes repeat it to me in the back of my head um, sure. when stuff gets tough, you know, is, is this, is this just a little type of hurt or is something really, really wrong that needs like medical attention? Now it's not always like that. It's more emotional when it comes to my job right. now, but um, resilience is, is, it's definitely something. And I think a lot of Rossies, which are students that go to Ross university and St. Kitts um, learn that about themselves when they're down there. So, you know, the dream is important. Veterinary medicine is important, but how far are you willing to go? And, you know, some crazy facts about Ross, um, the electric goes out probably three times a week. Your water turns off at 10 PM. Um, so if you're, you know, going out to study or whatever, you leave a cup of water next to your sink Mm -hmm. so you can brush your teeth when you get home. If it's after 10 PM, if your laptop breaks, there's no Mac, you have to go to four different grocery stores to get everything you need to make one single recipe. Um, you, you know, there's no service on Island. So it's not like you have a cell phone. Um, you have to buy a cell phone when you get there and getting in contact with your parents, um, has to be done through Wi-Fi typically. So you have to be in like a structured building. If you're out and about on the Island and something goes wrong, you got to talk to people, um, which is something a lot of younger generations don't do. We're so used to looking things up and trying to figure it out on our own. Um, so you're kind of cut off from society down there and it makes you into this person that you never really knew that you were. Um, and I think it makes for a great veterinarian, um, because, you know, we have to be resilient. You have to think on your toes. You have to not always live by the book. Um, there's a lot of, you know, students that I've met along my time that didn't go to St. Kitts, weren't educated there, and they always want it to be a straight line and life is not like that. And practicing veterinary medicine is not like that. So, um, I, I really do think it, it, has just kind of blossomed me as a human um, and has made me super, super resilient when it comes to things. And if one door doesn't open, you know, you better hope B, C, D, E, all the way to Z have an option behind right. it. Um, you have to right. have plans for multiple different paths in your life because it's not always going to work out the way you mm-hmm. want it to. Absolutely. Well, I love hearing resilience as that main uh, lesson because one of the other things I've heard about veterinarians, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or, mm-hmm. or not about this, is that there seems to be a higher rate of suicide among veterinarians. Is this true? Right. Yeah. So um, I, I think it was the 2021 census reports that veterinarians are 2.7 times more likely to commit suicide than a any other American um, in okay. any job. It used to be dentists, and now it's veterinarians. Um I'm super passionate about this subject. It is something that, you know, as a psychology major in college that I try and 
kind of dive into and figure out a lot of the times. Um, And I am, if you ask any one of my family members or my closest friends to describe me, strong-willed is going to be one of the top three words that people describe me as. I don't give up. I don't let people get to me. Um, I'm super tough, but this career beats me down daily. I mean, daily I come home and I'm like, I got to find something else to do. I cannot do this forever. Um, and sometimes it's kind of a joke, but other times that, you know, my parents always be like, okay, like mentally, are we okay? Mm -hmm. Like we always have a mental check-in. Um, and I try and figure out what it is. And I've kind of come to this sort of overwhelming list of reasons, but I think the first and foremost thing is, you know, a lot of veterinary students and veterinarians are type A personalities. So okay. like I said, we're list oriented, we're detail oriented. We want things done A, B, C, D, and E, and that's not how things work ever. Um, right. And so when stuff kind of goes the way we didn't plan on it, it's upsetting to people um, like us, you know, it's frustrating. You get down on yourself. And again, type A, it's no one else's fault. It's us. It's our fault. We did something wrong to cause this, you know, everything like that. So, you know, that's definitely step one. Um, The second thing is, you know, depending on what type of medicine you're in, any given day, I'll euthanize somewhere from one to seven animals. Um, wow. And that's just in a day. So every wow. single day I am seeing um, an animal that's suffering and not doing well and, you know, not eating, not drinking, just, you know, not doing well. And I say to myself, okay, I'm going to help this animal pass. Right. Um, and it's a relief to veterinarians. If you ask any veterinarian and we hear it all the time, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you put animals to sleep. And it's, it is truly the most peaceful process and it's relieving. It's a release of pain. That animal is no longer suffering. And for a lot of veterinarians, that animal means the world to us. So in order to be able to put an end to that is a it's a breath of fresh air. Now there are some situations we get involved in where, you know, it's, it's aggressive or it, you know, and it was just a bad start for the animal. So that's a completely different story, but for the most case, you know, this animal is suffering and we need to let it pass. Um, and so I think a lot of us kind of retrospectively put that back on us and our mental health. And if we're suffering, yeah. then why can't you make the suffering stop? Oh, okay. um, and we're so comfortable with death. We see it every day. We're around drugs that, you know, yeah. are used in euthanasia solutions. Um, and it, it just becomes almost like a defense mechanism where, you know, my mental health is suffering. I'm depressed. You know, we're in debt like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, if an animal dies, I tell owners this all the time, my heart breaks so much, you know, I, I, it's very hard to put up with, but, and then a lot of people will turn it around and grieving owners will say, it's your fault. You know, we did something wrong. And that kind of burden on someone, again, since eight years old that has dedicated their lives to helping and saving animals. And I always tell myself, you know, it's just grief. Like when owners are upset, they're just grieving. They need someone to take it out on. And, you know, sometimes I have to be their scapegoat, but at the same time you go home and you dive into that case. And what did I do wrong? Where could I have fixed this? And this is my fault. And I, you know, I've done it myself and I have to take a step back and, you know, remind myself it's not, but I think a lot of us get caught up in that cycle where when an animal dies, it can't just be because it was its time. 
we had to have done something <laughs> wrong. Um, and that's just the type yeah. of people that we are. So, sure, you know, sure. we're losing veterinarians at an alarming rate. And the one thing, you know, I try and get on my Facebook and social network and get out there to friends and family and let them know there is not a single veterinarian in this world. And I would put money on it that wants to see an animal suffering ever. Sure. Um, so, you know, think before you talk to your vets and, you know, think before you, you know, leave that angry Facebook post. And, you know, yeah. we have seen so, I mean, during COVID alone, there was a month where I, we lost four vets to mm. suicide in just a month. Um, mm. And it's a very small profession. So, you know, I, I just think people need to take a step back and realize that, we'd never want an animal to be hurt and in pain. And we are human, you know, mistakes yeah, happen. Right. And unfortunately, you know, when you're uh, any other field in this world, when you're a lawn care provider and you make a mistake, you plant the wrong flower or you mess up a yard or something like that. If we make a mistake, you know, an animal's life can, can be on the line and that stinks. Right. Um, so I, I think a lot of people just need to realize that we're human. And, you know, I've had it happen with my own, my parents' own pet, where, uh, you know, a mistake was made and, you know, it almost cost him his life. And I didn't point a finger at anyone because I know these things happen. Um, sure. And so it's just, I think a lot of people need to take a step back and realize that, you know, words really matter. Facebook reviews matter. They, you know, the yes. news gets involved. People are, you know, constantly bashing us on Facebook and, you know, there's, outlets for it on, for us on Facebook, which is very great. You know, we all kind of band together. And if we see a bad review somewhere and it's, you know, unwarranted or whatever, we'll kind of comment and be like, Hey, you know, vets are killing themselves. Let's reword it. You know, we understand you're upset. Maybe call the, the clinic and deal with it that yeah. way, you know, instead of right, getting behind right. a keyboard and, um, cause we take things personally. And at the end of the of day, there's not a single one of us that wants an animal to suffer. So it, it's very difficult. Wow. So how do you manage that for yourself then so that you keep your mental health in check? <clears throat> yeah. And this is very hard for me to say, but, um, cause I never thought I would be this way, but I kind of shut myself off to, okay. um, emotion. When I get home from work, you know, I'm at home. I don't check my phone. I don't check, you know, on my patients and things like that. Um, because, I don't want it to be my whole entire life. If I need to step right. away from veterinary medicine, I need to be able to do that. Um, and you know, my boss, he, he's an amazing individual, but he gave me kind of a word of advice in my first year because I got a bad review on Facebook and I cried <laughs> and he sure. was like, you know, this is look over your notes. What did you do? And I went through it with him and he was like, do you think you did everything and that you offered everything that you could have? And I said, yes. And he said, then, you yourself did everything right. And that's it. Um, and he said, at the end of the day, you have to know who you are as a person and who you are as a veterinarian and what other people say. It truly doesn't matter. As long as you can go to bed at night saying I offered X, Y, and Z, and mm -hmm. I did this, that, and the other. And, you know, sometimes you can do all that and they'll still leave a review. And our first, you know, kind of knee-jerk reaction is to go back at them and be like, no, I, we, of I course. offered this, I did this for you, but you just have to know who you are as a person and say, right. you know, I work hard to be who I am at my job every single day. Um, and I know who I am. I know what I offered. I know I practice good medicine. And if they don't see that, then, you know, yeah. it's not on me. It's truly not right. on me. Um, 
And again, that's very hard for people to do because you want everyone to like you. You want to help everyone's animals. Um, But there are just certain people that won't be good fits or good fits for you as a vet. Mm -hmm. And that's just, you know, that's how it goes. Right. So how do you keep reminding yourself of who you are? Because I love that advice. I think that's beautiful advice. But um, in the drama of everything that's going on, it could be hard to hang on to that. Right. And I think that is extremely difficult for a lot of veterinarians because there's this thing called imposter syndrome. And when you get out of school, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't think you're ready. You don't think you're smart. You don't think you're anything. Um, and you're just fake it until you make it, you know, constantly trying things. So, um, I've just always, you know, I've always come, my family's super important to me. Um, they have been, they're the most supportive people in the whole entire world. Um, and you know, it's just one of those things that if they know that I'm doing well and I know that I'm doing well, I don't really care about anyone else. Um, I'm religious. So I go to church a lot, um, and kind of ground myself there. I work out a lot to just kind of, you know, get the, get the good endorphins going. And, um, you know, I think it's really important for people just to understand that if you're happy with who you are at the end of the day, even if you don't fit a certain criteria and that's hard these days with social media and things like that, you know, exactly. your hair has to be a certain way. You have to be a certain weight. You have to be this, that, and the other. But if you treat people with respect and you're happy with yourself, then you know what other people say, it truly, it doesn't mean anything. Sure. Um, and so I rem- like, honestly, every night I'll try and get into things like, this is what I did good today. I'm proud of this. Okay. You know, I did this good. well. And then I can go back and look at my notes and be like, uh, this room, I wish I would have offered this. And honestly, the next day I'll call owners and be like, Hey, mm-hmm. I was reading over our chart and I thought of something or I did some research mm-hmm. or I called a friend. Cause you're not going to know everything right off. Of I have 15 minutes to see a patient. I'm not going <laughs> to get all my words out in that, but I'll come back and be like, would you consider doing maybe this in the future? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and you can only make yourself better, you know, by right. kind of retrospective right. reflection and things like that. Um, but I just truly, you know, every day I just, you know, things I'm happy with, things that I did well and things that I didn't do well, I try and correct the next day and things that I can't correct, I let go. <laughs> so it, it's Beautiful. that sort of, you know, that sort of trial and error for me. So having that support network mm-hmm. and these activities like working out and these, uh, that daily review seem to be the three yeah. pieces that are really helping you right. manage your mental health. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I go to my mom and dad a lot and my grandparents and if I have a bad day and, you know, they, at the end of the day, know that I, you know, give it my best and I tried my best and that's truly, you're human. That's all you can yeah. ask from yourself. You cannot be perfect. I mean, yeah. perfection is, it's, you're going to kill yourself trying to get there. Um, so as long as I, you know, really, I was nice to people and I tried my hardest and <laughs> I can lay my head down at night. That's really all anyone can ask for. I mean, you cannot do everything. You can't. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I just, I love this story about, you know, coming again from that small town, fighting back or not even fighting back, but challenging yourself, yeah. right? To move, move into that space where you were uncomfortable. All of the challenges that you rattled off about living on kids. Yeah. Is it St. Kitts or Kitts? Yep. yep. St. Kitts. Um, 
that, that you, you learn to do, mm-hmm. right? You learn to do all of this and, and make the best of it. And now all, taking all of that resilience and finding a way to manage your own mental health right? so that you can continue to do what you love to do. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, longevity in this field, it, it's very rare, but it's important. I mean, without yeah. me, you know, um, if I wasn't here, you know, veteran, it would, drop one vet in this world. And then, you know, all the animals, I mean, I see 30 to 45 animals a day, you know, that I wouldn't be able to service those people anymore. And so I think what a lot of people need to realize is even if you do one thing wrong, you're probably doing 99 things right. Um, in that day. And instead of dwelling on the one, we can just, you know, look at the 99 and uh, say what we did, what we would do different with the one. But, um, it's just one of those, you know, I just think a lot of people and not even in the veterinary field, I mean, this can be applied to everything, but again, you know, you, you just have to try your best and keep pushing. And, you know, yeah. if something doesn't go right, okay, what can I do differently? And then you go a different route and then, you know, you'll go a little bit further in life and then you're going to hit another roadblock again and again, but um, it always ends out how it's supposed to end out. Absolutely. Yeah. What, where would we be without the challenges? Right. right? We'd <laughs> same, be in the yeah. same place doing exactly. the same thing all the time. Yep. Yep. You have that to. That sounds I, boring. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you, it's probably, you know, it's just, it's crazy when you think about, you know, and you look back on anyone's life and you say, you know, well, where would you be without that? You know, where would I right. be if I did get into a state school? You know, what kind of vet would I be? And, you know, I still think it would have worked out for me, but I think I would have been a completely different person. Um, So, and I, you know, probably be in a different state under different leadership and it it could still be good, but, you know, this is probably better in my opinion. (laughs) Well, as long as you're happy with where you are, that's what matters. Right, exactly. Well, I am really inspired by your commitment, not only to your practice and to your art and the animals that you serve, but also to your fellow veterinarians. Yeah. Uh, that that really came out loud and clear in our conversation today. Right. And I, you know, um, that's a huge thing that we all try and do as a whole. Um, everyone, it's practicing medicine. Everyone practices mm-hmm. differently. Everyone's going to do different things when it comes to it. But um, at the end of the day, I think we all can understand that we're all struggling, you know, none of us are perfect. And so, you know, why not support each other throughout this madness that is a veterinary medicine and then veterinary medicine during a pandemic. Um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I love every other veterinarian in this world. I think they're doing amazing things. Um, all of us in different ways, but you know, we definitely deserve a little more recognition. Absolutely. So how can people recognize their local veterinarians? Yeah. So I think on a small level, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times like a handwritten card with a picture of an animal. I mean, I have them all over my house Um, because again, I try and remind myself of the good stuff and not the the bad. Um, But, you know, even just like a thank you card and, you know, if something, if there was an emergency situation or your pet needed emergency surgery and things like that, if you knew what went on inside of a veterinary hospital, I mean, you know, if a, a pet is hospitalized overnight, the girls are in the crates with your pet. They're sleeping with them. They're monitoring them 24 seven, you know, things like that. They're taking pictures with them. They're, if they, you know, are really sick and they accidentally have diarrhea all over themselves, they're getting bathed that day. There are people that literally will go 
above and beyond for your animal and you don't see it, you know, cause you're not right. in there with them. You're not seeing what's going on. Um, they give treats, they give pets, they make sure they're warm. They give teddy bears for pets to snuggle with. I mean, really the, the veterinary nurses especially go above and beyond for animals. Um, and I don't think it's seen a lot of the time. I think it's just point A, we dropped our dog off. He was really sick. And then mm-hmm. now he's coming home, but the steps to get your dog to that point are amazing. I mean, it's amazing what these people do to, or cat, what these people do to care for them. Um, so just even, I mean, a thank you call every once in a while, like I really appreciate you guys, you know, things like that. Um, and that goes so such a long way with us. I mean, just a little bit of recognition or, you know, support. I think that's amazing. And then on a large scale, which is not so much personal, but, you know, maybe more government and, you know, things like that. I do think it's really important that we start realizing that, you know, there's a crisis right now with veterinarians. There's not a lot of us. Um, We're struggling to pay school loans. We are struggling to make careers out of veterinary medicine. The amount of people that I know that went to vet school and aren't practicing veterinary medicine is astounding. I mean, it truly is. And it's just because it's, it's nowhere near the payout that medical students get. And it's not even a money thing um, at the end of the day, but you have to realize when your debt to income ratio is is where we are, it it doesn't make sense to practice medicine at this point. So when you show up to work and owners are mad that they can't be seen, mad that, Mm -hmm. you know, your schedule's already booked, mad that they have to wait until tomorrow, you know, it's it's not worth it. You know, a lot of the times we'll take a step back and we're like, this is, I I could do anything else at this point in my life, you know? Um, So I I think just a little bit of patience and realize that, you know, if you can't get in to be seen by your vet, it's not because we're sitting there and we have all these appointments and we just don't want to see you, you know, it's because we're very, very busy. Um, And we do our best to squeeze people in and you know, do that, but that has us staying over our lunch. I never eat lunch anymore at all. Oh, sure. Um, that I has us staying, that has us staying late. Last night I was done at seven and I did a surgery until eight thirty. Um, and at the end of the day, the sad part about that is we have animals and children and family of at course. home, you know? So, um, it, I just think everyone needs to realize that we are human and, you know, we're trying our best. And if, if things aren't working out, it's not because we are maliciously not letting them work out. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesse, thank you so much for giving us a peek behind the yeah. uh, veterinarian curtain here and yep. seeing what, what's happening there and for advocating, again, not only for the animals, but also for your colleagues. That's right. really inspirational. Thank so you. thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes, but most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.